Welcome to the Dwellings Podcast. We're glad you tuned in. Enjoy this message by Pastor Gunnar. Yes, Lord, your faithfulness endures to all generations. There's no boundaries to his greatness. Lord, we're standing in your faithfulness today. We're standing in your grace. We're in awe of what you've done. We're in awe of who you are. You're worthy of praise. You're worthy of praise. Come on, just on your lips, tell him he's worthy. Tell him you're thankful. Lord, we're so thankful. Thankful for your love. Thankful for your mercy. So good. You're so good. Mm-mm-mm. So good. We love you. You love him this morning? All right. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate you guys. I told him this morning I'm so thankful for a team that just honors God's presence. We're not, uh, Lauren actually sang it, we're not in a hurry. And I love that. Are you thankful for that? I sure am. Okay. Well, first time guests, we're glad you're here again. If I didn't see you the first time, there you are. QR code on the screen behind me. If we can have you fill that out, here's my water cap. Uh, fill out that Connect card so that we can get to know you and make your way out to the Connect table in the lobby after service today. Also, if you say, well, I'm not a first-time guest, if you are not receiving texts from the Dwelling Church about events going on and stuff like that, and you would like to, we're about to kick off this thing this month where we're emailing and texting a weekly thing of like, hey, here's what's going on at the Dwelling. So if you're not receiving texts, Do that, okay? And just don't click the, I'm a first-time guest, okay? Because that's not fair. You already have a coffee mug, okay? Don't do that. Um, So I know know some of y'all trying to loophole, okay? But I'll fill that out and get uh, added to the communication list so that you know what's going on. Like, welcome home dinner happening this Tuesday night at 7 out in the lobby. If you're new here and you've wondered, like, how do we get plugged in? Where are groups? When are groups? How can we serve? What, is, you know, what, what does this look like for me and my family to get plugged in here? Welcome Home Dinner is happening this Tuesday night at 7, and we need you to register for that so that you can eat, okay? Because um, I'd hate to just have to be scarfing down food right in front of you with you have nothing. So register. You can register out at the Connect table. Welcome to the family sign. Youth camping trip registration is going up today. So make sure you check Church Center or the events button on the website to, uh, to, to catch that today. You know what I'm really excited about? <clears throat> a lot. But God's doing so much, and we're, such in a, we're in such a special moment right now. A really important season um, for the church as a whole. And I uh, had a sister this morning come up to me and just confirm all of that for us and uh, about what he's doing and how important it is, the time that we're in right now. And uh, one of the things I'm really pumped about, really stoked about, we changed up our Wednesday night schedule. 
It's not alternating youth and prayer every other week. Now it's youth and prayer every week on Wednesday night. And so I'm, I'm just thankful for Leah for raising up a team to like even do that on the youth. Youth, youth group's awesome. Grade 6 through 12, you got a teenager, bring them up here 7 o'clock um, on Wednesday nights. But also while that's going on back there, we have prayer room in here. That's our Wednesday night prayer room. It's a two-hour worship and prayer set from seven to nine. You can come and go as you need to. We do the same exact thing that's a little different on Thursdays, 11 to one. So if you work around here and you got a lunch break or if you stay at home mom or whatever, just bring the kiddos in here and just sit in God's presence. You can come and go. It's a two-hour set. Just come and leave when you need to. But here's what we're after. We're after just giving Jesus a space that he's worthy of. And that's what prayer room is. We're not, we're not after anything but just his presence. And um, I love looking out. Our, this past Thursday, I, I loved looking out and seeing people in this room in the middle of the day just giving Jesus praise and praying and crying out for our city and our college campuses around here. And I'm just pumped about it. So get in on that. There will be more spaces created. There will be more worship and prayer spots throughout the week. And eventually, I, I would love it that th this place never ceases in worship and intercession. That there's never a moment where there's not somebody in our city that's lifting up an aroma to Jesus because he's worthy of it. So um, before I get started today, I want to uh, honor somebody. I want to honor my family. Just I was worshiping just then, that generation to generations, there's no boundaries to his greatness. And um, I just want to, I don't do this very often, but especially my kids, I'm so thankful for you guys. I know two of them are in the back, but Bailey's in here. But I'm so thankful for my children and what they have sacrificed just to follow Jesus with their mom and daddy on this church plant journey and all that stuff. I'm so proud of you, and I love you. Um, and... <clears throat> I'm really proud, I'm really thankful as a father that I get to raise my kids in an environment like this. And, and you guys love on my kids. Um, even Mr. Pete this morning said, I'm praying for your family and praying for your kids. And that means the world. That literally just means the world to us. To have a place. Not all pastor's kids have it. Great. I don't know if you know that. It's pretty stinky in a lot of places, and I'm thankful here that that's not the case. You love my kids, and I love you for that. Love you anyway, but thanks for loving my kids. All right. Today, we're going to a new series called Family Matters. Everybody say, Family Matters. All right, so this is going to be, um, this is going to be kind of that both-and thing, like family matters and family matters. Like, it matters family matters, relationships matter, but we're also going to be talking about some family matters, okay? Who remembers the old 90s show, Family Matters? You might remember this guy. <laughs> What's his name? Steve Urkel. What's his catchphrase? <laughs> See, Bethany, you were worried about, are we too old for this? Is anybody going to know who this guy is? Did I do that? <laughs> I started to wear me some uh, suspenders today. <laughs> I love this show. Anytime something would happen and everybody would like look at Steve and he'd say, did I do that? You know, it was just kind of the funny, so silly. But um, 
But this series, I, I was thinking about Steve Urkel, and I was thinking about like just the, the, even when we have conflict in relationships. How many know it's not a real relationship unless you have conflict? If you don't have conflict in relationship, that's just kind of a bunch of faking going on. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, in relationships, whether it's in your marriage or your family or in church life, in the body of Christ, uh, conflict is inevitable. It's actually a sign of health because it's actually working out differences of opinion and beliefs and things like that. And that's what I love about you guys is some of y'all, we could have a theological debate and like there would be some disagreements in here, but we all agree on one thing, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's all that matters. Everything else is secondary. And so, um, you know, even in conflict, you got to ask yourself the question like, did I do that? You know, like, like you can always, because sometimes we come into conflict and you think, oh, well, they're the reason we're having a hard time. Like, it's you, it's your fault, you know. You always do this, you know. But no, I got to ask the question, did I, did I have something to do with that? Like, and, and you all, that's, that's how you come into, con, into conflict and, and hard conversations with some grace and with humility is you, you kind of ask, okay, Lord, what, what part did I play in this? And I got to come to the table with that, at least that realization or that asking that question. And, and then when I leave, you know, when I leave a community group or when I drop my kids off at school, I need to be asking the question, did I do that? Did I love them? Did I, did I honor them today? Did I, when I leave this place, I need to be asking the question, did I, was I, was I the person that my brothers and sisters needed today? In, in context of the larger family, because how many know it's not just about me, myself, and I? It's, it's it, what you post on Facebook actually matters. It does, it, it, actually, it actually affects other people. Like when we vent or when we, you know, show our frustrations or whatever, it actually spills paint on others. So it's kind of like, let's, be, let's just be mindful of how we're living with one another. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you got kids or not, it just applies all across relationships. And so that's what this series is gonna be about. And today, I, I, I'm looking at, what we're taking is these one another phrases in scripture. So there's a lot of them. If you do like a word search in scripture, one another. Bear each other's burdens, love one another, be patient with one another, one another, one another. And so today I'm going to take our first phrase of this series, and it's love one another. Love one another. Something, I said this to a group of communicators a few weeks ago. Something that is true is better than something new. And so there are some things when we come to church and God just blows our mind like, wow, I never knew that. Today's not going to be one of those days. I actually wrestled with the Lord about that. I was like, this is so simple. And he's like, uh, yeah. Something true is better than something new. And so today you're not going to hear anything new. You're going to hear something you've heard so many times. It may be that we're overlooking it and not applying it. And so I want you to look at it like that today. How can I apply this? Am I doing this? Just hear Steve Urkel in your mind right now. Did I do that? 
Am I doing this? All right. So John chapter 13, if you've got a Bible, turn there. It's going to be on the screen. <clears throat> I'm telling you to turn. It'd be helpful if I did. I'm actually one reading it here. John chapter 13. It's a lot of scripture. Y'all okay with the Bible? Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. He had loved his, his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he'd come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped in a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my head, my hands, as well, Lord, that's just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over doesn't need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew that one who would, would betray him, that is why he, what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. <clears throat> After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I've chosen. But this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food is turned against me. Can you imagine how awkward it was getting in the room right there? I tell you this beforehand so that when the Messiah, when it happens, I'm getting mixed up. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved, that's John, by the way, writing it about himself, was sitting next to Jesus at the table. <clears throat> Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So the disciple, John, leaned over to Jesus and said, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it's the one to whom I'm about to give the bread and I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the bread knew what Jesus, I mean at the table, knew what Jesus meant. Since Jesus was their treasurer, 
uh, since Judas. Y'all, I took NyQuil last night. <laughs> I am not responsible for anything I say. <clears throat> y'all know what, y'all know who Judas is, okay? I'm sorry. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will soon give glory to the Son. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you'll search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. Why can't I come now, Lord? He asked, I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times that you even know me. In that dimly lit, rented room, the Passover meal had been prepared. As one after the other entered the room to have this meal with Jesus, I don't think anybody knew it was the last meal except Jesus. And I wasn't in that room, and the scripture doesn't say, but I love to just let my imagination wander. And what if they come in the room, and you ever walked into a room, and you think, it's a little heavy in here. And it's, oh, yeah, this is not like a typical hangout dinner that we have together. Like, Jesus is a little off, like something's going on. Like, what's he thinking about? Is it me? Did I say something? Peter's like, oh, it's probably me again, you know, like, What's going on with Jesus? And they sense the tension in the room, the heaviness. <clears throat> they don't understand everything that he's saying. He's saying a lot. John, John, that we just read, actually records five chapters. And most of it's in red, if you've got that kind of Bible. It's just Jesus talking for five chapters. And they don't understand a lot of what he's saying, but what they do understand. Because sometimes actions speak louder than words. What they do understand is their rabbi, their teacher, this man who they have so much respect for and have actually made the claim that you are the Messiah, like the chosen one of Israel, and you're sent from God, and we're following you. They give up everything already, including Judas, by the way, to follow him. And what they do know in this moment is that this man who's become their dearest friend in the world says a lot of things they don't understand, says a lot of things that like, I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. You gotta explain. But in that moment, they knew this man loves me. This man, this rabbi is like no other. And he truly, deeply, authentically, loves me. And I can't help but think of the writer of this gospel, John, the beloved, the beloved disciple, the one who Jesus loved. It's the reason he called himself that. 
because he got it. And I can't help but think as he looks down at his feet, just using my imagination, and Jesus has taken on a role of what a slave would have done in a home. He's taken the role of a servant and he's gotten down low and he's got a basin and he's got a towel and he's taken old dirty guy's feet that have walked this Roman road and then probably a dirty side road, dirt road to get to the house where they were. And he's washing the grime and the filth and you know the horses did their thing on the roads and all of that stuff that are on their feet and he's he's wiping this with his hand he's washing water and as John is sitting there watching his rabbi wash his feet and watching the water run through his toes becoming clean I wonder as he stood at the cross the only disciple at the cross by the way other than the women and watch the blood run in between his Savior's toes from the nails in his feet. I wonder if his mind went back to watching the water flow. That the picture of servanthood, the, the picture of someone taking on the position of a servant and dying on the cross for him. I wonder if he connected that. I see... In verse 34 and 35, there's this new commandment that Jesus gave. He says, love each other. You guys know how I've loved you? How I'm loving you right now? Love each other that way. What I see in this passage, I see Jesus. Love is our model. He showed us how to love. And if you've been around here very long at all, you've heard me say this. What Jesus modeled for us, Holy Spirit empowers in us yeah. and through us. You say, well, that's Jesus. Like, Jesus can love like that, but I don't know if I can love. I'm not that great of a love person. I really don't like people. Well, you know what? He says, as I have loved you. Actually, he says, just as I have loved you, you Love each other. So is that possible in my own flesh? No, but it is by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And it's a growing thing. It's a muscle. And I, I, there's nobody in this room that has arrived. I know some of y'all that are a lot closer than I am when it comes to love. But I changed my Facebook profile uh, a while back. I used to put a bunch of stuff on there about who I was and stuff. And it's just a guy learning how to love. That's what I put on there because it, it really all comes down to love. Have I learned to love people? Have I learned to love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And am I loving my neighbor as myself? Do you know that's all that matters in the world? That's all that matters. And so I see three things in the scripture. Really quick, I told you, nothing new, it's just true. So are we doing it? Let's ask ourselves this question. Number one, I see consistent love. Verse one says he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. Can I tell you something? Jesus' love is consistent. It does not matter what kind of day you're having. His love is consistent and it's persistent. And I love how Ian shared his testimony. He said, God has been pursuing me and I didn't even know it. 
He has pursued you since the moment you took your first breath. His love, his affection has been set upon you. And he's been wooing you to himself. He's been drawing you to his heart. And there's moments when you think, well, God doesn't love me. God hates me. He's nowhere near me. He's nowhere to be found. And he's just extending his arms to you. You just can't see it. He's consistently loving. It does not waver. His love does not vacillate. When I'm having a bad day, his love remains the same. How often is our love dependent upon how we're feeling? Here's something you need to know about love. Love's not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. Number two, love is conditional. I mean, unconditional. Jesus' love is unconditional. Says it was time for supper. The devil had already prompted Judas to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority and everything he'd come from God and he would turn to God. So he got up at the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist like a servant, poured water in a basin, began washing their feet. You know whose feet he washed that night? Judas's feet. This is before he left. I, you know, we give Judas a bad rap. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, there's no escaping what he did. But I, I would like for us maybe to go in our minds to like why he did what he did. Like ask questions of the text. Like, why did Judas, out of all the 12, why was he the one, number one, at the cross, John's the only one left. All the way, all the way down the spectrum of disciples and their love for Jesus to the one who would actually betray him. I don't know why he did what he did. The Bible doesn't really tell us why he did what he did, but I can guess. Everybody thought the Messiah would be one that was coming to be the, the warrior king who would overthrow the Roman government and restore peace to the land and restore freedom and all this stuff. And Judas was no different. He's like, hey, yeah, I'm gonna get in on this. Yeah, I'll follow you. Be part of a revolution. And then Jesus goes around healing people and feeding people and preaching and kind of giving the religious people whiplash. And like, Judas is like, well, this is great. <laughs> How about, who made the call to make Judas treasurer? I wonder if it was Jesus. Maybe Jesus puts trust and empowers people that we sometimes may not trust or think are ready to be empowered. I don't know, just a side note. What if Judas got a little disappointed in Jesus? Well, this isn't really turning out. Like, he's supposed to be building an army right now. And like, he's just hanging out with us every day. And I'm telling you what else, I really didn't appreciate that he asked Peter, James, and John to go up on the mountain. Seems like he always takes them. I don't know. Could have been. I really don't like the way we're spending our funds. 
And he was doing some shady stuff on the side anyway, too. Probably because he thought, I know better. I can do this better than they can. I don't know. But what I do know is you've got to be in some serious bitterness and resentment to betray the Son of God. And you have to be completely blinded by your emotional state and where you've been. I mean, you didn't get there overnight. And what Scripture says is when he's taking the bread, how many, how many know that's not a good communion when you take the bread and the devil comes inside of you? But he took the bread, in a, to quote Paul, in an unworthy manner, and he opened the door for the enemy. And at that point, he'd crossed the line. He'd taken what was holy in his holy moment, and he invited the accuser, he invited the enemy in on it. At that moment, his life, the trajectory of Judas's life, met the enemy's purposes. Is that not terrifying? And it all started with, I don't really like what Jesus is doing right now. It's not really what I expect. It's not what I signed up for. But you know what? Jesus knew every bit of that. And in my mind, I see, I see Judas reclined at the table with the rest of the guys, and Jesus comes to Judas, and it's no different. He begins to wash his feet. And it will probably, a lot of speculation here, but they probably looks up at the guys. I don't know if Judas made eye contact. Probably hadn't made eye contact for a long time with Jesus. Can you imagine the internal struggle? This man washing my feet and I have hate in my heart for him. And Jesus, being the Son of God, he knows what he's feeling inside of him. He knows what he's thinking. He's known where his heart's been the whole time. And he comes to Judas, I'm watching your feet. You don't deserve my... <laughs> Why do we do that? Because we're human. That's why the love that Jesus is calling us to is higher than what we're capable of in and, our own, in and of our own strength. But Jesus, he's so full of love, that's what he did. He just said, I'm gonna wash your feet too. Not because of, not because of duty, not because of, well, I gotta wash his feet because it'll be like, why don't you wash Judas's feet? Well, I don't really like Judas as much as I do John. No, he loved him. He loved Judas. Now, let's, let's come out of Judas's mind and that internal struggle and think about what Jesus was feeling in that moment. Hurt, betrayal, but such intense love. Love that knows I can't overtake his heart and make him love me because that wouldn't be love. Loves him so much and sees him going down the path. He sees this destruction. And he loved him to the very end. Guys, that's unconditional love. How many people in this room have been loved by somebody when you did not deserve it? 
Some of you guys got some wives that's loved you through your trash, and I'm one of them. Some of, you, some of you wives, your husbands loved you unconditionally through your garbage, through your worst moments. Your mama loved you when you were acting a fool when you were growing up. We've all been in this spot. Can I just tell you the, the most pure love that you've ever experienced from anybody on this earth has nothing compared to what God has for you. He loves you and his love is unconditional. We all got a little Judas in us sometime. Jesus loves us anyway. Number three, Jesus' love is demonstrable. It can be demonstrated. So it's not only Jesus demonstrating it, but he tells us in verse 14, he says, since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I loved you, you should love each other. Verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You know what's going to prove to the world that we're his disciples? That we actually have something worth giving away to the world? I tell you this, it's not how much we give. Now we give because we love, but it's not about how much we give. It's not about how much we serve. Now, if you're serving from the right place, it's because of love. But it's not about serving. It's not about any of the spiritual gifts. It's not about your gift of mercy. It's not about, Paul says, if you speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, you're just a clanging symbol. Well, I'm a spirit-filled, blood-tongue-talking. You know, I hear people talk. If you're not loving somebody, if you're not loving like Jesus and growing in that love, who gives a rip? As my grandparents used to say, it don't mean a hill of beans. Have you ever heard that? What does that even mean? Paul goes on to say, if you can prophesy and you're so accurate in your prophetic gifting, dreams and visions and wowing everybody at what you can hear from the Lord and everything, but you're not loving people, what are we even doing? Nothing matters except one thing. When you get to the end of your life, the question will be, what did you do with love himself? And how has that impacted your ability to love others? Have you learned to love? Sit with it. Have I learned to love? To really love? The litmus test of love is when people hate you discriminate against you, persecute you, lie on you, and you can love them. Who's that person in your life? I heard, say, I heard somebody say one time, kind of a famous guy in the Christian world. He's got a lot of enemies from Christians. 
And he said, I, I opened a, a magazine one day and I saw a, a full spread about a conference that was happening. And two or three of those guys on that conference lineup hate my guts. And he said, it triggered me when I saw their faces in my magazine on my, you know, as I'm looking through the magazine. And he said, I, I just took it to the Lord. And I love this. And I do this all the time, by the way. And so you take this and do it too, because it's helped me. If it maybe it'll help you. But I, he said, I, t I looked at those people in the face on that, on that ad, on that spread, and I looked them in the eyes, and I saw them as toddlers, like our little man right here. I saw him, I saw him as a toddler, and I could feel the father's affection for that toddler when I might couldn't have seen the old grouchy guy that hates me, you know? Sometimes we got to do that. I do that a lot in my head. Somebody talking ugly about me or, you know, whatever. I'll see them as a little boy or a little girl. And I'll just, like, I can, I can connect with that. And I realize that's the person that Jesus loves. That's how he sees them. Because his love's unconditional. And his love is consistent. And Scripture tells me his love is demonstrable. And so... It is now my responsibility to love that person regardless of how they've hurt me, what they said to me, fill in the blank, because I've been called to love like Jesus. So, have I been doing that? That's the question. In your marriage, in your parenting, in your home, in your workplace, your friendships and your broken friendships, your broken relationships in the family of God, in God's house, and among God's people, are we doing this? Are we loving like Jesus? Let's bow our heads just a minute. Now, unless you're just full of pride, <laughs> You probably see some blind spots. You probably see some gaps in your lover <laughs> this morning. And your preacher does too. And so we're coming together as the body of Christ this morning to let the Holy Spirit shine his light on our hearts in those places where we're just not loving like Jesus has called us to love. We have a little bit of a hardness in our heart toward people who think differently than us, look differently than us, live differently than us. And so, Lord, right now, as your people, we just say we're sorry for trying to fix people. We're sorry for seeing people as a problem or seeing people as projects. Lord, forgive us where we've manipulated people, where we've tried to control people just because we don't trust them. We don't trust them. We got to control them or else they'll be out of control. So Lord, we just, we're sorry for where we've done that. Lord, we replace that control with trust. 
that our wives, our husbands, our kids, the people in our lives that are hard to deal with, we just, we put them in your hands. You know what? It's a lot easier to love somebody when you don't feel like you got to fix them. So, Lord, we thank you for the grace today that you're pouring out on your people right now that enables us to love like we were made to love. Now, I want you to, with the Lord, I want you to imagine with him, let him just take your mind somewhere. And I want you to think about what does love look like in my life right now? Like this afternoon, what is that act of obedience that the Lord is calling me to do that will actually be a demonstration of his love? It might be in the car on the way home to your kids. It may be tomorrow, first thing when you get to work. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. What's he saying? Let's just obey. Jesus said the litmus test of love, of loving him is obeying what he says. So, Lord, we obey. And we say yes to learning how to love. Is that your prayer today? Is that your heart? Let's all stand on our feet. Look at me. I want you to hear this from me. I love you. I love you so much. And I want to get better at that. I want to grow in it. Because I'm a, I'm a long way off from what Jesus has modeled for us. And so as we leave this place today, let's just walk it out. We don't need a, a band. We don't need keys. We just need obedience, don't we? So just the way we're going to close the service today is just say yes. Yes, Lord. Amen. Y'all have a great week. Tell somebody you love them. Show somebody you love them before you leave. Bless you. See you next Sunday. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information, visit thedwellingchurch.org.